listening to SBS On The Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. Hi everyone, this is your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Monday, the 22nd of March 2021. I'm Ricardo Gonsalves. <laughs> Later, gender diversity in Australian boardrooms, it is improving. But first, an $8 billion takeover for Crown Resorts has been lobbed by US private equity company Blackstone. For more, I spoke earlier with The Motley Fool's Scott Phillips. Scott, is it a surprise to see Crown has received a takeover bid? Ricardo, I don't think it's a surprise to anybody. Of course, we know that Packer has been shopping Crown around a little bit already, including we are, sorry, Blackstone, I should say, taking almost a 10% stake last year. They were clearly interested in fishing around. They put their foot on the stock, and today, a takeover offer. $11.85, is that a good deal? Because, as you mentioned, didn't Crown put itself on, on the selling board, essentially, when it made public that deal with Wynn a few years ago? Yeah, look, it really did. I think it's any real surprise that James Packer's happy to get out of Crown and, frankly, the rest of the board happy to take a good price if they get it. Is it a good price? It's a hard one because we've seen, of course, it's the best price for the last 12 months, but the lowest price for the previous three years before that. So it kind of depends on what your time frame is. I think it's probably a pretty good deal for private equity if they get it, if they get through the Royal Commission unscathed, and if they can get it back to its former glory. It's a pretty good price they're paying, I think. Do you think, though, that the Crown Board will be waiting for better deals? They'll certainly be shopping this around. This is this is Takeovers 101. The first thing you do is you say you're not going to commit to the first one. You go and try and find someone else to buy. And if you can't, you still say no and hope they come back with another 5 or 10% just to sweeten the deal. So there'll be a lot more to play out just yet. They certainly won't be rushing to take up this offer off the bat. What do you make of the timing, given the Royal Commission starts on Wednesday? I think this is a bit of a play by election to basically, if not a get out of jail free card, there is a sense that this is a bit of a let us take this away for you. Let's take away the problems you're suffering from. And for current shareholders who are saying, well, hang on, we don't know what happens next. We might take this money. Let's lock this in now while we've got the chance. So I'm very sure the time is not accidental. It's probably not a bad time to do it. Of course, what can she, well, the investors are a little bit concerned. Given that James Packer owns a third of the company, I'm guessing or assuming that he pretty much holds the, the, the controlling say, right? What would it take to get Packer over the line? I think he's pretty keen to sell, but he also won't want to sell for too cheap a price. This is the, the largest and, and the trophy asset in the Packer stable right now. And so to some degree, the money that, that he gets for this asset does determine what the, the company and the family does next, of course, after this. I think he wants to sell. I think he wants out from everything that we know. As you say, they've already put the company up for sale, potential sale in the past. It's just a question of whether they get enough money. I think he needs to be seen to be playing coy, but I'm pretty sure he'd be happy to get a deal done. How significant will this be for James Packer? Because as you mentioned, this is the jewel and crown. You know, he was a big media player. He, he is a big player in casinos. If he leaves casinos, what next? Fascinating, isn't it? I mean, this is to some degree also the end of the public you know, Packer profile in terms of listed companies. Uh, going back to, of course, PBL, the Publishing Broadcasting Limited, way back in the day, and everything that's happened to, to Channel 9, the media assets, rolling that in the crown, as you rightly say. Uh, Packer's interesting. He, he's really taken a, a much more private profile over the last five or six years. Of course, his own personal struggles as well. Um, that's, been a, that's been a tough journey for him. I wouldn't be at all surprised if he's happy just to be out of the public eye a little bit more for a little bit longer. Of course, where that money goes and where it gets invested, that's a fascinating question. I don't have an answer really honestly, but I'll be fascinated to see where he decides there's value next. And finally, what do you know about Blackstone, this private equity company, and, and how does it essentially change other firms or other casinos? What kind of experience does it have? 
Yeah, look, Black, I mean, the private equity is all about cash flow, right? That these, these guys are masters of cash. And with, frankly, the money being so cheap, the cost of money close enough to zero for anyone who cares to, to dig around, this is all about the cash flow. We should see the usual private equity playbook, getting rid of undue, undue cost, of course, getting rid of uncertainty around the Royal Commission. They'll have to, to wear that, but they're wearing that potentially as a private company. I imagine they'll have to see it levered up with debt and then potentially refloat it back onto the market or sold to a trade buyer in a much better position. And of course, after COVID washes through in three or four years' time. Scott Phillips there from The Motley Fool now to the Australian share market, which rose by 0.7% to 6,752. That's on the Yelp. S&P ASX 200, Crown Resorts up 21.4% by the close, $11.97. So that is above that $11.85 offer price. CSL doing well today, up by 2.5%. Woolies gaining 2%, but the miners declined, led by Fortescue Metals down by 4.3%. For more on the market action, I spoke earlier with ELNC Values' Jane Rosenberg. James, the market is up today. Why? Strong day, up almost 40 points at the moment, despite a negative uh, return from BHP, Fortescue and Rio market heavyweights that have suffered with the iron ore price falling. But there's a number of reasons. Um, Economies around the world continue to improve. Central bank and government policy remains very, very supportive of uh, markets. Money is very cheap, of course. So we've, uh, we've seen the big Um, flood of markets, money into a range of different uh, asset classes, including equity markets. And a couple of times, a little bit of concern about rising bond uh, yields, creating some volatility. Today, it's a risk on day, so uh, quite good for markets. But given that recent volatility, especially within the bond markets, how are you playing the market at the moment? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? 30 years ago, our parents probably bought a 10-year government bond yielding 10%. And now people are saying, if the market gets to 2%, will my portfolio blow up? Um, Shows the leverage in the world and how much interest rates have come down. How you play it really hasn't changed for me. And that is that you look for very, very good companies with high return on equity and low or preferably no debt. Debt's a wonderful game until it's not. And uh, when it's not, it can be very ugly indeed. So I haven't really changed my approach at all. Um, I've never really liked investing in companies that are heavily leveraged to bond yields, whether it's through valuation or having too much debt. It's just a little bit too high risk for me. How has the market reacted to the bid for Crown Resource and what is it saying about any potential higher bids? Well, the market reaction has been extraordinary. It's been very, very strong. The stock's currently trading a little bit ahead of the bid of $11.85, so up 20%. The bid has come from Blackstone Group, which is one of the biggest shareholders in Crown. They currently have a little under 10%. And there's a lot of conditions. Um, Some of those are around board approval, some of them around them getting debt uh, financing. The big one, of course, is around their regulatory approvals to prove that they're suitable to, uh, to own a company like Crown. That remains to be seen. Um, the market's suggesting that the bid's likely, but probably not another, another suitor. It's possible Crown Board might be able to eke out a, a little bit more, but given Blackstone have uh, around 10% of the register, difficult to imagine that there'd be a higher bid from another party. Making the uh, headlines around the country are these floods, particularly on the east coast of Australia and New South Wales. What are the insurers making out of it? Well, it's difficult, of course, and you have to feel sorry for them. They've had a, um, a very difficult time for, um, 
for a long time now. It was only a little uh, over 12 months ago they were all suffering because of the bushfires. And early indications are that this event, which has been called catastrophic, may have a higher cost to insurers than those bushfires. It may exceed $2 billion. The market reaction has been fairly muted, though, and there's a couple of reasons for that. The big one is that they're fairly well reinsured for what exposure they have, and the exposure they have to floods has uh, been reduced fairly steadily over the last few years, particularly since those Queensland floods a few years ago. So who's holding the bag? Probably some international insurers, certainly some reinsurance companies. And I suspect there's a lot of people who are either fully or partly self-insured. So very difficult for those people, but not a big reaction in the market. The most affected would be IAG and they're down about two and a half percent. Telstra is announcing further details of its restructure. What can you tell me and what does it mean for shareholders that it does it essentially put in place a, a potential takeover of parts of its new divisions? I think that's unlikely at the moment. It's really an internal restructure and not a lot of surprise. The market's been expecting it for a while. Telstra's been talking about it for a while and they've put some detail out. They're going to have four divisions, and uh, but for shareholders, it won't change. It'll be probably renamed the Telstra Group and those four divisions will sit within uh, what is a very similar structure for certainly for retail shareholders. There may be some implications for international shareholders, but really very much expected by the market. It's expected to be put to shareholders at the AGM in October. And at this stage, I think it's probably likely that it'll get up but not a lot of change for retail shareholders. James Rosenberg there from ELNC Value. Now gender diversity in corporate boardrooms is improving. The Australian Institute of Company Directors says the percentage of females on ASX 200 boards has risen from around 20.6% in 2015 to 32.9% right now. And nearly half of all new directorships and appointments, appointments rather, so far this year have been for women. So for more on that, I spoke earlier with the chair of 30% Club Australia, Nicola Wakefields-Evans. Nicola, to what extent is progress being made when it comes to gender diversity on Australian ASX 200 boards? Look, it's pleasing to announce, Ricardo, that we're, we're making progress um, and that uh, for the first time we're over 30% for the ASX 300, so the 300 biggest companies and we're uh, almost at 33%, we're at 32.9% for the ASX 200. Um, so that's a, a really pleasing result um, given where we came from. What do you see as the most significant barrier to gender equality on boards and more importantly, how do you fix it? So it's a slow progress and I think there are, there are a couple of barriers. One is um, pipeline. So if you look at the executive side, so the, the executive teams that report to CEOs, the statistics for the ASX 200 are not fantastic. CEW, um, Chief Executive Women, announced um, uh, their uh, executive census in October of every year, and we're still down in the teens. We don't have enough female CEOs. We don't have enough women who have line roles on the executive side. Um, we don't have enough, we don't, we're, not, we're nowhere near 30% in the executive teams. So that's an area that we really need to focus on. So pipeline is one. The second thing is, is time. Um, you know, the, it takes a lot of time 
um, for appointments to occur. And what we need to see is the appointment rate for women staying at around 50%. It's around 47% at the moment, which is another good achievement for the 30% club. We're getting that appointment rate up. Um, so I'm confident that we will get, uh, we'll, we'll keep seeing progress um, in more companies reaching the 30% um, mark. What is the importance of having gender diversity on boards? Look, having diverse um, teams, including at the board level, is really important to get diverse opinions. Um, on the gender side, if you have more women at the top table, a lot of the issues that we're seeing at the moment um, get get asked and uh, women tend to ask different questions to men. So the issues around sexual harassment in the workplace, gender diversity in the workplace, are topics that women are generally interested in. I'm not saying that men aren't, but I do think that there is more attention paid to those areas if you have a, a greater number of women in leadership roles. Um, that 30% level, that target, why is that number important? <laughs> Because we know that the conversation changes when you have 30% of women in teams. Um, it's difficult if you're the only woman on a team to actually make a difference, difference and get your voice heard. Two women is getting better, but we, we know from a number of research papers that 30% is the tipping point. Obviously, we'd like to get closer to 40 and 50%, but 30% seems to be the, the, the percentage where change can happen. And what do you see as the best diversity model? Because isn't there a push to go 40, 40, 20? There is a push to go 40, 40, 20. Um, the reason we went, to, we started 30% club in 2015 is that we thought the 40% was too far a, a goal. We wanted to have a, an achievable, measurable goal. And 30% is, it, I regard as a stepping stone to getting to 40%. Um, and obviously 40, 40, 20, or even 50, 50. Um, should be where we're aiming, but you need to have, I think one of the areas that we've, we think we've been successful is that 30% in 2015 looked achievable and it was, as it turned out. If we had set the goal at 40%, I think we would have ended up with a lot of gender fatigue um, and now we're at 30%, we can easily set the goal for 40% because that's achievable. Nicola Wakefield Evans there from the 30% Club Australia. That is SBS on the money for this Monday. I'm Ricardo Gonsalves. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Business Ricardo. This SBS on the money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision.